0: to real life real equity with your host Justin and the lovely Keisha Brooks say hello everyone
1: hey and welcome everybody our goal
0: is to share with you real life examples of entrepreneurs who are winning in both life and business as real estate investors our mission is to model educate and inspire you to act by sharing easy to implement tools ideas and information to add more worth to your net worth more cash to your cash flow helping you achieve your goals in less time and we'll do that right after this commercial break are you part of the club? The Real Equity Club is a group of like-minded individuals. The club's purpose is to help create more wealth for its members. The mission of the club, to help you increase your passive income and net worth. The club is completely free to you. When you join, you will receive the tools, providers, and ideas you need to create, grow, and maintain your wealth. So join the club now
2: at realequityclub.com to gain access. Or send us an email to info at realequityclub.com That's info at real EquityClub.com. We want to see you succeed in business and in life. So go to the website at realequityclub.com and join now.
0: We are super excited about our guest today. She is a licensed board certified urological surgeon who graduated from the University of Missouri, Columbia. As a respected physician with over 20 years in the medical field and almost two decades as a real estate investor and syndicator, she's also the founder of 18 Seconds for Health. A wellness initiative that helps her patients communicate better with their doctors. She is currently launching the Wellbeing Matters brand, which emphasizes both health and wealth. In 2000, she wrote and published *Overcoming Incontinence* to help men and women struggling with bladder control. She is also the best-selling author of *Cracking the Cold to Success*, *Wealth for Women*, *Conversations with the Team That Creates a Dream*, and *Life-Defining Moments with Bold Leaders*. Ladies and gentlemen, let me give a warm round of applause for our guest today, Dr. Felicia Froh. Welcome to the show, Dr. Froh. Thank you so much. I
2: appreciate that. So I've heard other people say this. It's a pretty impressive resume of whoever that was.
0: <laughs> it is very, a very impressive resume. Let me caveat before we get started. So we've known each other for a while, so it's okay for me to call you Felicia, right?
2: Absolutely.
0: Okay. But I want to bring light to the people because, you know, when you meet a doctor it's not necessarily okay to call them by their first name. So they should ask before they call you by their first
1: name, right?
2: I would say yes, especially when you're in a professional setting. For me, if I'm not in a professional setting, if you're not in my office seeing me as a patient, my name is Felicia, but that's me. Okay, makes sense. So
0: tell us a little bit about your background. What inspired you to become an entrepreneur? You're a doctor currently specializing in urology. So You're also an entrepreneur. You're a best-selling author multiple times over. Explain what got you into entrepreneurship, one, and then two, what got you into the medical field, and then why are you doing both?
2: Those are great questions. The easy one is, how did I get into medicine or why did I go into medicine? And it was my dad, my father. Back in junior high school, I wanted to be a veterinarian because that's what he was. I loved animals. I want to do that. And he said, if you're going to school for that long, you might as well go to medical school. Right. And I don't remember anything after that ever thinking about going to vet school again. It was just from that point on, I was going to medical school, which it wasn't an easy world. I guess everybody would assume that it's not easy, but in, even in the fact that it wasn't completely the mindset that I was going to be or to do. So as an undergrad student. I started getting into my, you know, I want to be a mom. I want to do all these other things. I don't know how I'm going to be a doctor and do all that. So I actually dropped out of undergrad and went to pharmacy school. Thought that would be an easier road to do all of other life things that I wanted to do. And after two years of pharmacy school, I decided that that was not where I needed to be. And I really, really did want to go into medicine. So again, changed schools. Dropped out of pharmacy school, went back to regular undergrad, got that degree against the advice of a lot of people. A lot of people were telling me I needed to stay in pharmacy school, get my degree, work in pharmacy. Then I could go to medical school if I wanted to. And that's just not the path I saw for myself. So I did what I wanted to do and fortunately it worked out and I got accepted into medical school my first try at University of Missouri-Columbia. Yeah, it was a risk, especially when you have everybody telling you not to do that. Everybody, including your parents and your cousins and your everybody telling you, no, that's not what you should do.
0: So that's pretty amazing. I mean, it's, it's really hard to go in, in the face of advice from people you love, especially when it comes to life advice from people that you respect that seem to and even that do have it together already. So you were self-aware, is a great word to use. Self-aware of what you wanted and how you wanted to get there. So,
2: I'm gonna say that's one way to put it. The other way, because we could put it that way, because it worked out. If it right. hadn't worked out, it would be a different word. What would that <laughs> be? Feel like, well, that wasn't so smart. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but that's interesting
0: because either way, it would have created a person, the person that you are eventually going to become, right?
2: Exactly.
0: Yep. We, we always try to keep it real and I want to keep it real with our audience. We've actually recorded this before, um, or so we thought.
1: Uh, and,
0: and, and Justin just so happened me, I just so happened to forget to hit the record button and we went through a whole podcast without actually recording. So, you know, reality speaking entrepreneurship, we all make mistakes. So you, like you said, it worked out the way that you thought, but, If it hadn't worked out, you would be doing something else to make you a better person today, just like we're doing right now, doing something to create a better result than we had in the past.
2: Right. That is the goal. That is right.
0: Right. (laughs) So give us a story that can inspire our audience. You know, for example, something that, a moment where you felt like giving up something transparent, something real that we can actually relate to, one, and then, two, that we can grow from.
2: Well, as an entrepreneur, which I have to say, I, didn't feel like that's what I was becoming until recently. It was just, I need to do something different than medicine. And that was mainly because medicine to me is so much of a business and right. people don't necessarily think of it that way. But the way doctors get paid is by seeing patients. And when our reimbursements, our pay is cut from insurance companies, the only way we can make that up is to see more patients. And we have to cover our expenses, our our overhead, you know, all the stuff that business people know. You have to cover that. And as a physician, it's really hard to do that and be a doctor. So those things to me didn't and don't quite jive. So one day in my, came to me this need to help people navigate medicine better. People being patients, non-medical people. And this has been in my head since 2004, a very long time, maybe even longer than that. And it's evolved to now the 18 Seconds for Health where, and this is all part of my evolution also, where I tried to figure out what it was about medicine that was driving me crazy, which is what I just explained. And how can I make that better? And as physicians, we try to make it better. We make it better by asking supposedly better questions, et cetera. And I feel like from the patient side, I can help them make it better by teaching them how we want to hear what they have to say in other words get your story together so that when you walk in you will be able to get it out there studies have shown that your doctors give you about on average 18 seconds before you're interrupted and if Ah. your eight seconds are to the point then you're going to get to keep talking if they're not to the point, I guarantee you, because I've done it, you get cut off much sooner because the information you're giving me is not helping me get to what's going on with you.
1: Wow. So the focus is essentially helping the patient ask the right questions or ask good questions so in result you the doctor can provide good answers, good feedback, good diagnosis?
2: Actually, it's that in addition to being able to tell why you're here in a succinct way, why you came to see me, why you walked into a doctor's office, what problem you have, because, you know, everybody in their profession thinks in a certain way. I agree. And when you have time, you have time to get it out. You get have time to pull out of the person in the way you need it, so you can put it all together. When you don't have time, you need them to give it to you, and it's like, if you could give it to me this way, this would go so much better.
1: Wow, why does that
2: make it why can't people just tell it however they want because of the time we really don't have the time and when we know we don't have the time and you're not giving me a story you are much more likely to get a prescription or a test that you might not really need if we could have the time to get to where we need to be
1: oh wow wow
0: that's really good so essentially we're as consumers the people that go see the doctors aren't educated on how to talk to the doctors so a lot of times it is a communication barrier there, right?
2: 100%,
0: yeah. And where 18 Seconds for Health comes into play to help you as a consumer convey to your doctor in a more efficient way what's going on with it. That's really good.
2: The hardest part of it for me is sometimes you have the idea and you have to spend a lot of time figuring out how to deliver it to the market. And that's where I am right now, really trying to figure out how to deliver that product to the market.
0: It sounds to me, and I think you're on this route more, marketing uh, driven than it is necessarily having the right information. It's probably something you're already doing, but it's interesting because, you know, we're talking real life and we're talking business. Let's talk about your real estate also, because I I know you are a real estate investor. You're, you just (laughs) talked about how you're launching the new brand, Wellbeing Matters brand, and how it's gonna emphasize both wealth and health. Let's talk about the real estate factor. You're a syndicator. Explain what that means and then explain how that works.
2: Okay. And then so so that everyone understands why health and wealth, what do they have to do with each other? They have everything to do with each other because the way I see our country is that we may get to a single payer system. We may continue with our current insurance model. I have no idea, but I can tell you that people that have money, people that have wealth will always really sad, but will always get better care. They will. So in addition to that, the longer you live, the more money you need to have. So being healthy means you need to be more wealthy so that you can enjoy all of those years. That's my mindset with this. Wow. So to answer your question about syndication, a syndicator is someone who aggregates or collects funds from friends, family, anybody, everybody who is interested in investing in a particular project. So in general, we have a project, a large apartment complex, whether it be a residential assisted living home, whether it be a big industrial complex, whatever those are, they're usually larger deals that one person may not be able to pull off on their own. Aggregate funds from people, have worked out the deal where you're going to get a return on your money and invest and manage that project. disperse checks, do those kinds of things for the investors. I have a group of investors that I invest money for. After I chat with them about what the project is.
0: Wow, that's very interesting. And obviously, I know I know a little bit more than I'm leading on about syndication. But we want to make sure that we are as Baseline, basic as possible, so that we don't leave any investor behind, as our good friend and uh, one of our mutual mentors, Robert Helms, would say. So thank you for that.
1: It's interesting that you are still Dr. Felicifro, and you have also found a way to dig into entrepreneurship during this journey. And you seem very confident about that. Um, was that always the case? Were you always this confident within your work?
2: I'm going to answer no, and I still have those moments, just like everybody, even though we may not admit it to ourselves or anybody else, of I don't know what the heck I'm doing, and somebody's going to find out. So I still have that. So the more I work through that, somebody's going to find out, or I don't know what I'm doing, it's a matter of do what you can control. Like, I don't understand this, so what can I do to understand it? And if I, if I can't get it understood, who can understand it and be on my team to help me work through this particular problem?
1: Yes, exactly.
2: Confidence is a fleeting thing. I have the confidence that I can figure out most things, whether I do it on my own or whether I can pick up the phone and call somebody. That's a huge thing. I guess that's a big confidence booster right there. It's like, yeah, I'll take it on and I'll figure it, figure it out as I go.
0: Well, you know, Henry Ford talks about how he does not have to have all the right answers. He just has to be able to find the person with the right answer. And so he built a a full-blown company, one of the most successful vehicle manufacturing companies in the history of America off of that very concept. So I think you're hitting it right on the head. And the reality is, and I go through the same thing, we've had conversations about it. We talked about this before, but if you ever get the chance to sit down with Felicia, you will figure out really quickly, she's really good at getting the things out of you that you really want and don't want to get out of yourself. So um, she's very, she has a very good way with words and questions. Um, it's probably a lot of the medical experience, but you know, either way, it's been therapeutic when we've talked and, you know, it's also been you know very real. Yeah, very um, true. But to the point, I think we all go through that and we've had the conversations where you feel like, it's not that you're faking. It's not that somebody's going to find out about something you don't necessarily know. It's you never fully know everything. And for achievers, a lot of times that's not something that is fully acceptable to you because especially when you are uh, already established in a field where you have a base level of experience, when you're starting to build out a bigger company than what you're used to, you don't not necessarily have all the answers all the time. You don't always know where the light at the end of the tunnel, whether it's, you know, the sunlight or a train.
1: Right.
2: Yep. So, and there are trains. And there are we trains. Always, <laughs> you know,
0: sometimes you get I hit.
2: Everybody who, who stepped into entrepreneurship has been hit by a train. I agree. And fortunately, they're generally not trains that kill you. They're <laughs> right. trains that just knock you, knock you out for a little while. You got to get up. You got to say, well, that hurt. and, get going. And right. what I, the pain, the pain of entrepreneurship is losing money. Um, for me so far, I've lost some relationships. that is, was actually very painful also. And they, they all teach you something. That's the biggest thing. And we learn just, and all of us learn anybody who makes an entrepreneurship understands that it's the mistakes that teach you the most. Even our president has said he learned the most when something went bad, right? right. not right. when things go well.
0: I agree. It's,
2: In addition uh, to who you are and what you're made of.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I agree. It's I mean, we can go on for days about what the reality is of entrepreneurship. You know, and I say this all the time and I'm never going to stop saying it. It's not just the money and the cars and the clothes. It's the becoming. You know, Jim Rohn says it best. You know, success is a becoming process. It's not necessarily a destination. He said it's success is something that you become. It's like butterflies. The more you chase, it, the more to elude you. So actually becoming the person and seeing the silver lining behind whatever it is we're trying to become as entrepreneurs, seeing the silver lining and all the failures is where we need to focus versus the end result.
2: And that's a hard thing to actually get to. It really is. Because we all feel like we're going to eventually get to something. Right. And you do, but it's, it's not the end. There's always something else. So every time so far I have a goal, you get to that goal I'm like, okay, what's next? That gave me chills. Right, that, I'm not going
1: to lie. Exactly. We're always trying to figure out if we're doing something right. Yeah. And sometimes it's not necessarily about doing what is correct because you're not going to satisfy every single person. And I constantly remind myself, there is 7 billion people in this world. Like, if I just touch 1 million That is not even a fraction of the living beings on this earth. Yep. Even if you touch one,
2: you've made a difference. It's that ripple. We talked about that before, the ripple effect. You never know what that one person, positive or negative, is going to do for the rest of the world. But we got to touch what we can touch. We we have to. Now we're Uh, getting all spiritual on it. But that's the thing right there. There's a spirituality to the business world. That's what's made it good for me to think about the changes you make in the world by what you're doing even the ones you cannot see right um we call mr fuller calls those precessional events you have your goal that's your straight arrow across and the precessional events are the things that happen as you're going towards your goal that you may not ever see you may not ever realize and you may not ever get to your goal but the process the steps of getting to your goal are making changes in the world
0: Wow, you know we're never gonna be fully right. Right. You know it's never a complete right or wrong. And then you just followed it up with your goal. You may never hit, but it's not the point of hitting the goal. It's the process. Of, what'd you say? The precessional events. Correct. The precessional events that happen that causes the difference in the world. So it's again looking at the silver lining. We can preach it from the back of these microphones like we got it all together. Oh, my God, is it difficult? And you have to really focus your mind on, one, what am I going to do? And then how am I going to make sure that it's right? Not necessarily right in your head, but you can see the becoming process more than you can see the result.
1: Essentially, you're working towards whatever that goal is within that moment versus trying to guess how how is it going to happen a week from now. Being present in the moment. That's, yeah. That's exactly, I got it. Thank you.
0: You all hit something that I want to bring to light in our, in a personal conversation we had about destiny.
1: So we talked about what is destiny? A lot of people are always shooting towards a goal that they're trying to accomplish that is so far away, yet they forget to live in the present moment. They forget to work towards the now because the next five minutes isn't promised to any of us. That's right. Yeah. Living in the moment and doing
2: what you can in the moment, that's back to that what you can control thing. Because really all you can control is right now. It may get you where you think you want to go and it may get you where you really need to go. You don't know. (laughs) Right. Letting go of that process or letting go of the end result is really difficult to do for me. Um, Imagine I'm a surgeon. I mean, I want ultimate control. I really do.
0: Right. I agree.
1: Right.
2: But you don't have it. I can't control how your body works. I can control what I do to it. But I can't control once you leave the operating room, once you get home, I can't control any of those things. I can't control how you're even put together. Somebody else control that. You can only control what you can control. That's right. You know, you do a surgery the same time, every time, exactly, you do it step by step the same way and get a different result every time.
1: Wow.
0: So let's kind of transition a little bit.
1: Yeah. So with that, you know, I'm sure there's some highs that you have had, but there's also some lows. So give us some of your highs, maybe one high and then some of your lows and then the steps you took to persist through those times.
2: Okay. So the lowest low that I can think of right now was in 2008 when we had built up our real estate holdings. We had 18 single family houses and all various states of repair and readiness to be rented. Our goal at that time was long-term was hold. Wow. And I was told that I needed we needed $50,000 and that would get everything covered and we'd be ready to go. Everything would be ready to rent. So I took an... A, unsecured loan actually from the bank. They gave it to me for fifty thousand. Uh-huh. And I think maybe two months went by and fifty thousand dollars was gone and our places were not ready to go. Not oh. the fifty thousand dollars it wasn't stolen, it just it wasn't enough. The right. the estimate was grossly under. So it was at that point I had to make a decision as to whether I was going to go and talk to Steve, the bank guy again, or let him go and I chose to let them go because I didn't see an end to that process. It seemed like an ongoing process. We actually lived in Hawaii at the time, and our properties were in the Midwest. Wow. So we, it was a hard decision, but it felt like I'm either going to keep digging a hole and get deeper and deeper into a mess, or I can understand the bottom of my hole. I'm at the bottom of my hole, and all I can do is come up from here, and I decided to do that. And that decision, I made that decision, not understanding all the consequences that would happen based on that. I mean, I could think of a few, but you don't know every single thing that's going to happen as a consequence of a decision you make.
1: Right. I agree. And I
2: had some surprises. It was all very interesting, but I learned a lot. The biggest thing I learned is don't go into a real estate adventure undercapitalized. Right. Make sure you have a good team no matter where you are. You need people that can really give you good information and pay attention. Don't think somebody else is going to do it for you. Don't think somebody cares about your money as much as you do.
1: I agree.
2: That's real good. Yeah. So, I mean, it was really mindset for me that got me through all that. When I made the decision, I knew enough about real estate investing to know that I don't have to have a perfect credit score to invest. I knew I had my medical degree. I'm a physician, so I'm not going to, me and my family will not Starve. I can always do what I can do, and so we're going to be fed, and we're going to be fed well. We'll have some place to live. Right. Um, however, I had to make a decision to leave Hawaii because I needed a, I wanted to get back into real estate, and then since I had no credit score, I needed a big hunk of money, which I didn't have. So mm. I left Hawaii and took a job that gave me a big signing bonus, all with the intent of getting back into real estate, and that's what we had to do: so pack this- up my kids and move to California.
0: Wow. So that's interesting. There's the persistence level that comes with that is hard to convey, I guess, in just a story, but I think the audience got the message. But we're talking about going from 18 houses in the Midwest in different levels of repair to liquidation and taking the sign-on bonus just to get back into the same industry, maybe not the same situation, but the same industry. It takes a different mindset to go from what most people would consider an insurmountable obstacle to going back in there, and I would call it like facing your challenge, facing your, the your ma-
2: stupidity. I mean, I call it my stupidity. Yeah, I mean, well, okay, that was yeah, just I mean, dumb. When I was walking into it and walking through it, the whole process, I didn't feel dumb. I felt smarter than anybody. I felt really good, and I know what I'm doing. And then when it all came crashing down, I'm like, well, I was kind of stupid. And to like, we've talked about before from my physician mindset where it took me, it took me a while to, to feel and be good as being a doctor and being called doctor. So I had gotten to that point and now I'm at this, I'm a doctor and I'm a loser when it comes to real estate. I mean, I had those thoughts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can understand
2: Okay. You can get it back together and how can you do this? And how can this work? And that was, you know, I had enough of the right people around me to get me through that.
1: Enough
0: of the courage, uh, the chutzpah, you know, like Darren Hardy would say. uh, It it takes courage. It does. Resilience. Uh, Faith.
1: Well, and then also, you know, you didn't just sit. You didn't just sit in pity or anything like that. You got up and move. You know, moving from Hawaii to California, that's a big move.
2: Yeah, that's true. I did pity myself for a little little while just so everybody knows I get pity parties and you get to have them. You just get to time them. Don't let it run for too long. Have one, give yourself 10, 15 minutes, 24 hours, whatever you need, and then move on.
0: You know, Darren Hardy talks about how um, he's gotten to the point where he, he had pity parties for a good length of time. And he has consistently worked on shortening those pity parties because Mm-hmm. I don't, just like I'm sure everybody, like they get in this funk, but the quicker you can get out of the funk, the quicker you can learn the lesson, the quicker you can c- overcome the obstacle. And so his tip, Darren Hardy's tip was to try to shorten it to as short as you possibly can. Um, and I think i went from now two and three weeks at a time, four weeks at a time. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, I, I'd go in a rut for a I month Fix six or Literally.
2: <laughs> I understand. I understand.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and that, you know, that is a, that's a good point. I mean, I, there has to be, as entrepreneurs, you have to find some type of way to get out of it. Some type of meditation, something. Oh, yeah. You know, just thinking on that, I'm sure there's something that you do, Felicia. What is, what is something that you do that helps you get out of that pity party? So that way you can move on to the next thing.
0: Reground yourself.
1: Yeah.
2: So uh, that's a great question. I just got a video this morning about waking up depressed. You wake up in your funk. What do you do? And this guy's like, you accept it. Don't think that's the rest of your life. It's right now. And yeah, I'm this sucks, and I'm grateful for. So gratitude, which sounds like such a cliche to me, it really does. Except when you do it, you start no. to you just feel different. It's when somebody says, "Well, be grateful," and you're like, "What the heck? Give me a break." <laughs> But <laughs> I've heard studies show that not just thinking of something that you're, you even like come up and say, I'm grateful for my little pink purse, whatever you, I can look around my house and find nothing I'm grateful for, but the actual activity of thinking about something or trying to think of something you're grateful for is beneficial to you. I mm, agree. Yeah. Even if you can't think of one thing, there's nothing in my life worth having right now, nothing for me to be happy about. I can't even be happy I woke up this morning. The fact that you spent time trying to figure out something is beneficial to you.
0: Wow. You know, you hit something. Gratitude its so cliche. It is. Um, you're like, you know, be grateful. You know, and then the person's like, kick rocks. Um, I don't want to be grateful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the, truth, <laughs> the truth is, that's part of getting over that, that whole pity party. You said something that I even faced this morning. And I told Keisha, I said, I woke up angry. I didn't wake up happy. I didn't wake up feeling it. And uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, I'm starting this morning miracle where, you know, every morning I wake up at a certain time and try to refocus my my mind and get my day started off right. But I woke up angry and you said it. I heard you say it before, which is kind of why I really honed in on the gratitude piece. You know, just really saying, okay, I woke up angry, but there is one thing in my life that I can be grateful for. and all I had to do was think about the one second, two seconds that I was present in the moment the day before, spending time with my kids laughing. And mm-hmm. not only did it instantly change my state, I told my subconscious mind two days ago that I wanted I wanted an answer to a question. My subconscious mind was going to deliver it to me by the end of that day. Well, my subconscious mind apparently doesn't listen to what I say sometimes and it didn't deliver it. <laughs> And so, (laughs) I said, uh, "I said it's okay. You're going to still deliver it to me tomorrow. Tomorrow was this morning, and I woke up, and I was feeling so just out of it. And I said, oh, man, my subconscious mind is not going to deliver it right now. And then I practiced gratitude. I said, I'm so grateful for, to the point of tears, like so grateful for just life and family and love and just the people who care. It's not about the thing. Mm -hmm. And when I had that, my subconscious mind said, ding, 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 ding. And it gave me the answer to the question that I asked it a couple of days ago. So you hit it right on the head.
2: Yeah, that's really cool, Justin. And I was going to say, I bet you it was there, but you were still in your pity party. So you couldn't see it.
0: Yeah. There's that dose of reality. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right, though. You're right. Uh, so you know? in the initial time, what... what are some things that are unique about your business, regarding your business, think your secret sauce, what are some things that your, our audience should know about uh, your business and how can they get involved?
2: Okay, so with my real estate business, the biggest thing for me with that is that I practice and look at what's called impact investing. When I invest somewhere, when I think about aggregating funds to invest, I want it to be a big impact in that community. For example, one of the projects I'm working on now is a big hydroponics project in two states, Indiana and Oklahoma, where we're talking about getting people real food, vegetables, leafy greens in places where they don't have that, where they go grocery shopping at dollar store and quick trip. Wow. So we're looking at making a big difference in the community. You know, It's hard to even talk about all the impact that'll make, but just thinking about people getting good food. Just that one thing makes me feel good. With my investing, I want you to get a great ROI and I want you to, this is a part of your social responsibility. This is, we have a responsibility to our earth and to our, our fellow mankind. And that's what I'm about. Um, wow. My target audience is actually women professionals. I just really feel like women are underserved. And I know a lot of people don't feel that way right now because it looks like women are getting everything. We still do not invest the way men do. We don't have the confidence to invest that men do. A study show we can run a household. We can run a budget. We can make a house run like anything. And that is like corporation. But if somebody talks to a woman about investing, our confidence drops considerably to 30 something percent compared to 70 percent for men. Wow. It's a big deal. So I'm really focused on women. And so to get my seven steps for women to achieve real wealth, go to takebackcontrol.co.
0: Okay. And you said it's takebackcontrol.co. Correct. Okay. So you mentioned that you were doing projects where it would cause a social impact specifically with hydroponics farms where you would get green leafy vegetables and then you you mentioned earlier in the in the podcast about health and wealth being your primary drivers for your company the biggest thing for Keisha and I and we agree 100% wholehearted and we've talked about this for many years a lot of times government-sponsored programs focus a lot on the inner aisles of the grocery store and what you're talking about isn't, giving people the opportunity to shop in the inner aisles. And what I mean is in a grocery store, if you all think about it, inside of the aisles are all the manufactured goods, all the goods that have the preservatives and the bad thing, all the things that may not necessarily be the best for your body. Come so, in a
2: can or come a, a box. Can,
0: right. But on the outer aisles are all the fresh things, the things that are a little more expensive, but are supposedly helping you live longer. Well, a lot of times the price gap is such that being budget conscious doesn't allow you to make the best decisions for your health. You're talking about changing that, which is a massive social impact. So I wanted to make sure that our listeners understand the gravity of what you're undertaking, one, and two, the impact, the true social impact that you're making in a community where we talk about food deserts, because we had that conversation before food deserts where there's only one grocery store within so many miles. And that one grocery store isn't able to service the amount of people that, that it takes. And you said, you know, people shopping a dollar and quick trip. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing. It is creating a difference that is truly remarkable. Thank you. Absolutely. So thank you for being on the show today. Uh, we had a phenomenal time. I mean, Even though we went a little bit more spiritual than, you know, we actually intended, I I do believe that health, wealth, and spirituality is one of the three pillars to success in any venture. So you're hitting on three of the many things it takes to be successful as an entrepreneur and business person. So
2: I agree 100%. I wanted to say one more thing that I got a Facebook post yesterday that says, sometimes the fear won't go away, so you'll have to do it afraid.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. We didn't ask what the golden nugget was, but that was it. Yeah, oh, my that's God. It. We're going to close with that.
2: Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Real Life Real Equity Podcast. If you'd like more information on joining the Real Equity Club, visit the website
0: at realequityclub.com. There, you will get access to the tools, providers, and ideas you need to create, grow, and maintain your wealth. Again, that's
2: realequityclub.com. If you would like to ask the hosts a question or be exposed to our podcast audience, visit our website at realliferealequity.com and submit a request. Again, that's realliferealequity.com. Or send us an email at info at realliferealequity.com. Again, that's info at realliferealequity.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week right here on Real Life Real Equity Podcast.